Chapter forty three of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchet Carey. Chapter forty three. A May Afternoon. What is this love? that now on angel wing sweeps us amid the stars in passionate calm. MacDonald Elizabeth stood on the terrace in the sweet stillness of a May afternoon. She had been gathering flowers for the dinner-table and drawing-room, masses of white and mauve lilac, long golden trails of laburnum, dainty pink-and-white may-blossoms. But though the Gelder roses almost dropped into her hand, she passed them by untouched and with averted eyes. All her life they had been her special favourites, but now they recalled too vividly a painful episode, the day when Malcolm Herrick so sternly and so sorrowfully refused her his friendship. Malcolm had been nearly twenty-four hours at the wood-house, and she had hardly exchanged a dozen words with him. And already he had signified his intentions of returning to town the next morning, in spite of Cedric's vehement protestations. He had arrived so late the previous evening that he had had only time for a hasty greeting before he went to his room to prepare for dinner. During the evening the young couple had naturally engrossed his attention. A harder-hearted man than Malcolm would have been touched by Anna's innocent happiness and her shy pride in her handsome young lover. "'Does she not look lovely?' Elizabeth had said to him in a low voice, as they were all gathered on the terrace after dinner. And indeed the girl looked very fair and sweet in her white silk dress with a row of pearls clasped round her soft throat. "'You are right, and I never thought Anna really pretty,' he returned in a cool, critical tone. "'Happiness is generally a beautifier, and my little girl certainly looks her best to-night.' And then he went after them, and Elizabeth saw that Anna was hanging on his arm as they went down the steps and that Cedric's hand was on his shoulder. "'How happy they are!' she thought a little enviously. "'They are both devoted to him, and he certainly returns their affection. "'He is good and kind to every one but me,' she continued resentfully. "'If Dinah had said that, he would not have answered her so curtly, and then turned on his heel and left her.' Here Elizabeth wilfully ignored the fact that Cedric had signalled to him somewhat impatiently. "'I believe that he has made a vow not to speak to me if he can help it.' Elizabeth was in a restless, irritable frame of mind that prevented her from taking a reasonable view of things. If she had been less alive to her own embarrassment and discomfort, she would have discovered for herself that Malcolm was ill at ease, too. 
if he had not talked much to her he had watched her closely and it had troubled and pained him to see how thin and worn she looked in the strong light he had even noticed a faint tinge of grey in her bright brown hair she is pitiless to herself as well as to me he said to himself bitterly if she goes on like this she will be an old woman before her time her life is too limited it suits diana but it does not suit elizabeth why should she spend her time teaching village children and fagging after that old man for malcolm was growing hopeless and embittered the evening had not been productive of much comfort to either of them a sense of widening estrangement of ever deepening misunderstanding kept them apart when elizabeth went to the piano for she had been induced to resume her singing malcolm did not follow her neither did she sing one of his favourite songs even when diana innocently recalled one that she remembered he loved and begged her sister to sing it elizabeth obstinately refused oh that old thing she said contemptuously i'm so tired of it but malcolm was quite aware of her reason for refusing she would make no effort to please him for fear he should be encouraged to repeat his offence the next morning things were no better cedric had asked malcolm to walk with them to the valley it was a glorious morning bright and fresh and sweet just the day for a prowl as cedric said you will come too betty he continued but to everyone's surprise elizabeth demurred to this she was very sorry she stammered but she had promised to go to rotherwood why we are all going there after luncheon exclaimed cedric herrick wants to call at the vicarage so we can leave him there, and you can go on to Rowan Cottage. But again Elizabeth hesitated. It was a great pity, she returned hurriedly, but Mr. Carlyon and Theo were going to Earlsfield in the afternoon, and she wanted to see Theo particularly about the new school books that they were to order at Thornton's. Theo makes such mistakes, she went on. The last batch was all wrong and had to be sent back. And though Cedric argued with her, and Anna put in a persuasive word or two, Elizabeth was firm. The afternoon would not do. She was very sorry to be so unsociable, but it could not be helped. She must go alone. All this time Malcolm had said no word. Perhaps if he had, Elizabeth might have been induced to reconsider her decision. The fact was, she was getting sore as well as unhappy. "'If he had wanted me, he would have asked me to accompany them,' she said to herself, never dreaming that her brusque, decided manner made any such invitation on his part a sheer impossibility. So Elizabeth had her way and spent a long, pottering morning in the schools and in going over accounts with Theo. More than once she put back her hair from her hot forehead with a gesture of weariness. 
How lovely the valley would look, she thought. How dark the shadows of the fir trees would lie, while golden shafts of sunlight would penetrate between the slender stems. She knew where they would be sitting, on a shady knoll overlooking the dale farm and the range of hillside beyond. They would be talking to him about the priory and their future life and all their hopes and fears, and he would be listening to them with that kind smile she knew so well on his lips. "'What is the matter with you, Elizabeth?' cried Theo rather pettishly. "'Do you know you have added up all those figures wrongly?' "'Have I, dear? I'm so sorry.' And Elizabeth, with a tired little sigh, worked her way up the column again. When she had entered the sum total, she took up her hat. "'Surely you will wait for father,' observed Theo, rather surprised at this unusual haste. "'You know he promised us he would be back soon after twelve. "'Yes, I know. But we have a guest staying with us, and I ought not to absent myself too long. I have seen Mr. Carlyon already, and he will understand. Please give him my love. Elizabeth could not have told why she was in such a hurry to be home, or why the morning seemed so endless to her. Theo's tactless remarks irritated her more than usual. She could hardly control her impatience as she answered her. Theo is very wearisome at times, she thought, as she walked rapidly through the woodlands. But after all, there had been no need for haste. She found Dinah alone. The walking party had not returned. Oh, how tired you look, Betty, dear! This had been Dinah's constant remark of late. "'You have been shut up with those noisy children and Theo all morning, "'instead of sitting on the hillside enjoying the breeze from the moor. "'I'm afraid—here Dinah hesitated—that Mr. Herrick was a little hurt about it. "'Don't you think one ought to do something to entertain one's guests?' "'This was quite a severe reproof from her gentle sister. "'But Elizabeth—' only laughed a little mirthless laugh. "'He is your guest, not mine, Dinah. You ought to have gone to the valley yourself.' Which was carrying the attack into the enemy's country. No one wanted my society. A disagreeable cross old maid. Eh, Dinah?' Elizabeth's poor little joke nearly ended disastrously for her lip quivered, and she was very near a sob. But in another minute she recovered herself, and Dinah wisely said no more. But the moment Elizabeth saw Malcolm's face at luncheon, she knew her sister was right. He was unusually silent, rather constrained in manner, and hardly addressed her. Then an evil spirit of contradiction entered into Elizabeth, and she became suddenly extremely talkative. To listen to her, Rotherwood might have been a rustic paradise, full of village Hamptons and mute inglorious Miltons, 
and that in its idyllic streets peace and simplicity reigned. Even the heavy, loutish Tommies and Jacks, who had exasperated her by their dense stupidity that morning, were only subjects for a humorous anecdote or two, with little effective and sprightly touches, which made Cedric throw back his head with a boyish laugh. But Malcolm never raised his eyes from his plate. To him, Elizabeth's graphic descriptions were far from amusing. He was thankful when the meal was over and they were ready to set out for Rotherwood. Dinah had some calls to pay, so Elizabeth had the house to herself for an hour or two, but she would not be idle for a moment. The sun was hot on the terrace and flower-beds, but the vases were to be replenished. Dinah had returned and brought her a cup of tea before she had finished. "'I should not be surprised if they all had tea at the vicarage,' she observed, and Elizabeth assented. But a little later, as she stood on the terrace with a few sprays of lilac in her hand, which she meant to carry off to her own room, she heard Cedric's laugh distinctly from the drive. Her cheeks burned suddenly, and a curious revulsion came over her. She had not expected them back so soon. She was not ready to meet them. She glanced at the drawing-room windows behind her. It would not do to go in that way. They would come face to face in the hall. She would go down to the pool. No one would look for her there. He, Mr. Herrick, had never once been there since that day. She knew how he avoided the place. Yes, she would be safe there, and could get cool and collect her thoughts. And to-night she would behave better, and sing some of the old songs. Elizabeth was half over the rustic bridge as she made this resolution. Then she walked quickly through the little gap which led to the shady pool with its moss-grown boulders. But the next minute she recoiled in absolute terror. Someone was standing there, gazing down into the still water with bent head and folded arms. It was Malcolm. She would have crept away, but at the sound of her footsteps he turned round, and her retreat was cut off. "'You quite startle me, Mr. Herrick,' she said rather nervously. "'I thought you never came here.' It was the last thing she ought to have said, but she was confused by the sudden surprise. A faint smile crossed Malcolm's pale face. "'You are right.' he said in a curious undertone. I have never seen it since that day three and a half years ago. But it has haunted me. More than once I have dreamt of it. Such foolish dreams! You were Ophelia, and the water-weeds were strangling you and dragging you down, and I was trying to help you. Well, with a forced laugh, did you succeed in saving me? I think not. I fancy that you told me that you preferred strangling to my help. Oh, it was only a dream! As Elizabeth looked rather horrified at this, my dreams of the pool were never happy ones. 
Elizabeth made no reply to this. Perhaps words were a little difficult at the moment. But as Malcolm said no more, she observed presently, "'I suppose you thought you could exorcise the nightmares by seeing the place again.' Then he turned round and looked her full in the face, and the lines round his mouth were fixed and stern. "'No,' he said with unnatural calmness, "'any such exorcism would be useless in my case. I have only come to take a last look at it.' Elizabeth's strength seemed to forsake her, and she sank down on a boulder. "'What... what do you mean?' she asked faintly. "'What do I mean?' with a bitter laugh. But his eyes flashed ominously. "'I mean that I am a coward. Cowards run away, do they not? Elizabeth, I am beaten. I confess it. I am going to give it up. I shall come here no more. No more? Not come to the wood-house? Elizabeth could scarcely gasp out the words. No, he replied quietly, not even to see your sister. I mean to tell her before I leave. She will understand me. Why should I come here to be treated as you have treated me to-day? Each time I come, you show me more plainly that my love and devotion are nothing to you. Well, dear as you are to me, God only knows how dear, I can lead my life without you. Yes, I will free myself from my bonds. I will be no woman's slave. If she could only speak, the tears were running down her face now. He must have seen them if he had looked, but as she put up her hands to hide them, a little choking sob escaped her and reached his ear. He bent over her and spoke in a gentler tone. "'Why are you weeping, Elizabeth? Are those tears for yourself or me?' "'For myself,' she whispered, "'because you are leaving me, and I want you.' I want you so. Strong man as he was, Malcolm trembled from head to foot with the sudden shock and revulsion. What could she mean? The next minute he was kneeling on the ground beside her, and had drawn away her hands so that she was as defenceless as a child. I must see your face, Elizabeth, very firmly. You are a truthful woman. You never deceived any one. Let me read the truth in your eyes. You want me, you say. Does that mean you are beginning to care for me? I think so. But Elizabeth's eyes refuse to meet his. Does it mean that you love me well enough to be my wife? He asked again. And his voice thrilled her through and through. Then a lovely colour came to Elizabeth's face. "'I think I do, Malcolm,' she whispered timidly. "'I believe I have been caring a long time, but I would not let myself believe it.' "'Oh!' 
dropping her hot cheek against his shoulder. "'It nearly broke my heart when you said you would never come again.' "'I meant it, dearest. It seemed to me that my last hope was gone. "'Oh, my beloved, my own at last!' And then Malcolm's long, passionate kiss set the seal to their betrothal, and for a little while there was the silence of a great peace. An hour had passed. No one had come in search of them, and the evening shadows were beginning to steal over the pool. But still they sat, hand in hand, talking earnestly and lovingly after the manner of lovers until the gong warned them that it was time to return to the house. But even then they lingered. "'Is the spirit of the pool properly exercised now, Malcolm?' asked Elizabeth, with her old playfulness. Then he clasped her close. "'I have her safe in my own keeping. "'Dearest,' in a low, vibrating tone, full of tenderness, if I ever grow supine or forgetful in my great happiness, and the memory of these long years of misery and unrest fade away, you must bring me here, and I shall remember. You shall remember nothing but that I love you, she whispered. Malcolm, you will not leave me tomorrow. I cannot part with you so soon and he promised that he would certainly remain over Sunday. Elizabeth had not entirely laid aside her mourning, but the black silk dress she selected that evening fitted her exquisitely, and the dull, heavy folds suited her tall, queenly figure. She looked at herself for a moment. Then, with a hesitating hand, she fastened a spray of white lilac in her dress. The next moment there was a familiar tap at her door, and Dinah, flushed and agitated, came into the room. Elizabeth watched her smilingly. Then she opened her arms without a word, and for a few moments the sisters held each other very closely. "'Oh, Betty, my darling, my darling!' "'If you knew how happy this has made me. "'How did you know, Di? Have you seen him?' "'Yes, just now. He was crossing the hall, and I saw his face. "'We were alone, there was no one near, and he caught hold of my hands. "'Oh, such a grip!' "'Dinah,' he said, "'you will let me call you Dinah now, for I am going to be your brother.' but we had no time for another word, for Cedric and Anna came out of the drawing-room. "'We shall not tell them this evening,' returned Elizabeth. "'Malcolm has promised to keep it quiet. I told him that only you, my other self, must know to-night. You will be careful, will you not, Di?' "'Yes, dear. But you must let me hear more. How did it happen, Betty? I thought you and Malcolm Herrick never meant to speak to each other again. It has been such a tiresome, uncomfortable day. When I brought you that cup of tea on the terrace, 
I did so long to say a word to you, but I saw by your face that I should only make things worse. I'm glad you refrained. Do you know, Di, I thought I heard them in the drive. I had no idea that Malcolm had returned an hour before, and I got into such a panic that I went down to the pool to recover myself. And, and he was there. At the pool? Yes, and he heard me, and I was obliged to stay. And then he told me that the place haunted him, and gave him bad dreams. Oh, such ghastly dreams! And then all at once he said he was taking his last look at it, that he never meant to come here again. Poor fellow! Did he really say that? It was poor Betty, I think, then. Oh, Di, if you knew how limp and helpless I felt when he said that! I trembled so that I was obliged to sit down, and, and I could not help crying. I know I acted like a fool, but the next moment I could feel him bending over me, and his voice was quite changed and gentle when he asked me why I was crying. Of course you told him. Yes, I could not keep it back. And then somehow it all came right, and we were both so happy. Oh, Di, how wonderful it seems that two such men should love me, my own dear David, and now Malcolm. I am not young or beautiful, or even clever. I think I understand it, returned Dinah affectionately. And then Elizabeth put the last touches to her toilet and a moment later they went downstairs, and found Malcolm still pacing the hall. He put out his hand silently to Elizabeth, as they followed Dinah into the dining-room. That warm, quiet grasp was full of comforting assurance. As long as life lasted, Elizabeth would have her lover and her friend. She had found her rightful mate, and the old, restless days were over. End of chapter 43